0: this perceived most hated thing i think that's just because negativity is louder than positivity you know uh, hate will always get more play than love and and, and that's just how it goes so uh, yeah so if you compare that perceived hate you you're talking about with the numbers someone's full of shit
1: someone's <laughs> way full of shit a mitch and jeremy exclusive a lot of you've been asking, Jeremy, Mitch, when are you going to interview Nickelback? When is Nickelback coming on the show? Their new album's out, man. Like when are you getting the guys to come on, talk about the recording process, talk about the songwriting, talk about the entire it's one of your favorite bands. Why aren't you getting Nickelback on? I'm going to tell you the truth right now. We haven't been able to book them (laughs) straight up. Scheduling just wouldn't allow for us to get them. We were in talks with the publicists and labels and everything. Uh, Just haven't been able to make it happen. Maybe sometime in the new year when they announce their tour or something, we'll be able to chat with them. But uh, yeah, uh, coming up, we're going to throw it back to my interview with Mike Kroger from a couple of years ago. And he told some really cool stories about working with Mutt Lang when they were recording their album Dark Horse. Uh, Of course, Nickelback's latest record, Get Rolling, available now wherever you get your music via BMG. It's absolutely phenomenal. The record sounds ridiculous. The production is so good. It's one of the most pleasurable rock albums you'll ever listen to. The mix and the engineering, the songwriting, the crafting. Uh, I mean, Chad just outdid himself this time around. And it's just fantastic. So that's my review. That's Mitch's review as well. He's like, "I I think it's the best rock album of the year. Along with Shinedown, Scorpion's Def Leppard. I mean, this was a big year for rock, right? Uh, Nickelback's latest record, Get Rolling, available now wherever you get your music. We're going to get over to Mike Kroger in a second, but when I did my interview with Mike a couple years ago, I actually did the interview with a guy named Eric the Trainer Fleishman, and he and Mike had a project out at the time called Main Monster, and uh, Eric, who is a iconic celebrity fitness guru he's trained everybody from nickelback been on the road with def leppard sean mendez you name him he's had his own tv shows and all this stuff anyways i was so sad to hear that eric passed away this weekend uh his energy and excitement about fitness and music was just intoxicating to everyone around him and he was just always so nice to me and um i just want to say uh my condolences to Eric's entire family and I just want to play this small clip from our interview a couple years ago with Eric the trainer and he gave some really great advice for those of you looking to transform your bodies looking to lose some weight and honestly it's not a big secret where the change happens here's Eric the trainer how do you help people get over that hump of you know dealing with the body dysmorphia and like aside from just like hey man hey bro you look good bro like
2: You know, the way that we get through it is actually considering it to be a mission, not just weight loss, but a mission of good looks and good health. And we really help them in those three areas with exercise, with diet and sleep. We try to have them exercise on a regular basis and the consistency goes a long way. I have a gym here in Hollywood. And when it's open under normal conditions, we have amazing workouts there. From a diet perspective, we really want them to eat healthy foods that support that big transformation. Mm. And sleep is the most important. You know, all physical transformation occurs exclusively during sleep. So prioritizing sleep for many of the Hollywood people that we work with, it's a new concept.
1: Hmm. Yeah, because a lot of us aren't sleeping at all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. And sleep
2: is, sleep is when all change occurs in the body. You could say that sleep is to the body what an oven is to cookie dough. It's when the big transformation occurs. So if you want to go through a transformation, even if you work out with me, even if Wolfgang Puck made your food perfectly, you need to sleep to see those big changes.
1: It's funny because, you know, you say sleep to the body is oven to a cookie dough, but when I wake up, I'm still a big blob of cookie dough.
2: (laughs) You don't look that way to me, man. I have professional eyes and I think you look great.
1: Just one of the nicest guys ever. Rest in peace, Eric. Uh, Eric's family welcomes the community to join them in celebrating his life by sharing experiences, memories, and tributes to celebrate.erics.life at gmail.com. Rest in peace, Eric the trainer. Just devastating loss to the music and fitness community. Let's get right over to Mike Kroger from Nickelback. This is a clip from a couple of years ago. I did an interview with uh, Eric the Trainer and Mike, and here's Mike talking about his experience of working with Mott Lang recording Dark Horse. Nickelback's latest record, Get Rolling is available now wherever you get your music. I have a whole bunch of questions for Mike. Okay. <laughs> First of all, to be a member of the perceived most hated band in the world, yeah. to selling out every arena you play in, and selling millions of albums, that must fuck with your head. In a well, lot of, if, if, in a lot of if ways. If you take it too seriously,
0: it will, because it, it, it's like uh, it's like cognitive dissonance, right? It's, it, it, you, you, yeah, this perceived most hated thing. I think that's just because negativity is louder than positivity, you know? Uh, hate will always get more play than love, and, and, and that's just how it goes, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, so if you compare that perceived hate you, you're talking about with the numbers, someone's full of shit.
1: Someone's <laughs> way full of shit. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Next question I got to ask you. Okay, you worked with my favorite producer of all time, Mott Lang on Dark yes. Horse. Now, there's not a lot of information out there in regards to how that entire process happened and how you work with Mutt and what it was like working in the studio with him. How did Nickelback go from just being Nickelback and then completely elevating the game and being produced by, in my mind, the greatest producer of all time?
0: Yeah, the guy, uh, well, he was a legend to us, you know, that's yeah. why, that's why we were reaching out to him. And it, it was just really, you know, it, it's, it's really kind of funny because a lot of the things that we did in the studio prior to meeting Mutt was things that we learned from listening to albums that he had produced. And we had, you know kind of in a way taken ourselves to Mutt school before we met Mutt and you know learned some of those some of those things, you know, some of those production techniques that, that he uses and had incorporated them on our records. And it was just a complete happenstance. I think my brother was in a studio somewhere working on I, some session. I don't even think it was one of our sessions. I think it might have been a Santana session or something like that. Right. And and you know, just said, you know, they were just having conversation around the console while they were working. And he was like, said something about how great Mutt Lang is. And the guy's like, well, you, would you ever think about working with him? And my brother's like, of course. You know, and yeah. the guy goes, well, a good buddy of mine's actually working with him like right now. And he goes, well, I talk, tell him we would love to talk. And, and it was as simple as that. Uh, there was, you know, the text message went through to wherever Switzerland, they're working probably at Mutt studio. Yeah. And, and, uh, the word came back, Mutt said, Hey, here's my number. Give me a call. And, and that's how it works because Mutt, the thing about Mutt is he's kind of like, like an evil genius. He, he doesn't, Mutt doesn't have a manager. He doesn't have an agent. He doesn't have a representative. He doesn't have a website. He doesn't even really have a phone number for any prolonged period of time. He's really shadowy. So, You don't find him, he finds you, you know? (laughs) It's, yeah, he's an an enigma for sure. So when we finally made contact with him and and, uh, and then my brother went over just to show him a couple of songs over in Switzerland uh, at his studio, it went really good. And it was... We went from kind of trying out material to okay, we're going to move ahead and make a record, and that was when uh, he actually flew over to to Canada to work with us in British Columbia at my brother's studio, and we basically just shacked up with Mutt uh, for. 5 months or whatever it was and and wow. just live with the guy and and learn more and it was it was kind of funny because when we were working with him he was like okay guys here's what we're going to you know we're going to like for instance a different you know stacking vocals or whatever and, and we were like oh yeah we're already going to do that we we know that <laughs> one you know we, like we were we were on to his, you know, yeah. <laughs> to his game in some ways. You know, we definitely learned some, some stuff from being in the room with him, for sure. But, yeah, there was, it was a few humorous moments where it was like, oh, you're going to do the, the thing, right? And he's <laughs> like, yes, I am, I'm going to do the thing. It was, it was really funny. It was a really awesome experience. It was, uh, yeah, it, it, you can't, uh, you can't, there's no substitute for working with someone like that.
1: No, and you know, you said that your brother had to kind of go over to Switzerland because I know somebody that is kind of working with Mutt right now. He's he's kind of retired, but he's also doing some secret yeah. things. And yeah. he was saying that he'd send songs over to him, and then Mutt would be like, "Okay, this is cool. Yeah, all right, whatever." But then it wouldn't go anywhere. But then he'd send Mutt more stuff, and they'd be like, "Oh, you know what? Actually, okay, I hear something here. I could I could do something with this." And it was almost like yeah. an audition process in a way. Like you had to send you had to send. Yeah. So did you guys have to kind of audition for Mutt? That's kind of what my brother's
0: visit to Switzerland was, you know, was, it was, you know, we hadn't done any demos or anything. There was just ideas. Most of them were either in Chad's phone or in his head. And it was, so it was one of those things where, you know, he just sat down with Mutt and Mutt's like, just goes, okay, what do you got? (laughs) Right. And Chad was like, oh, you know, craft his pants and then started playing, you know, a riff and a vocal and, um, that that's kind of uh that was the uh the genesis of something in your mouth as soon as chad did that he he, he mut was hooked
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's a great riff so t- what's the first meeting with mutt like you go sit down the suit this he? because the dude every album and genre that he touches he reinvents the genre in a sense and the entire sound of it you know if you look at what he did with shania's come up well first of all his back in black and then he did it with pop with foreigner And then the cars and then the Brian Adams stuff and obviously hysteria and pyromania. But with Shania, he completely changed the sound of rock, completely changed the sound of country. When you guys put out Dark Horse, that really created the sonic landscape for every rock record that that hit radio that came after it because everybody had that, you know, something in your mouth kick drum. And it had that drum sound. It had that bass sound, the fingery but yet bottom endy tone. And it, 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 everybody's rock records had those uh, that sound. So in the first meeting, did Mutt say, "All right, boys, we're gonna recreate and we're gonna reinvent rock. And this is what the <laughs> no. record's gonna sound like. And we're gonna do these big ass <laughs> drums, and we're gonna be doing this. We're gonna be sampling these snares and layering four on top of it. Like did he did he go into detail about what no. this record's gonna sound like? He,
0: he's he, uh, believe it or not, you know, listening to the final product, you'd think it's a very, um, a very, uh, scientific and, and elaborate and deliberate process. Uh, this guy goes by feel more than anybody I've ever worked with. Mm. Uh, everything is by feel in the moment, and it, it, there's no idea he won't explore. That was one thing I found really, really refreshing. Where a lot of producers kind of feel like you know, they've kind of been there, done that, done everything, written everything, know everything. And, you know, sometimes when, when an out, like a left field idea comes up, it's like, that's never going to work. Forget it. Mutt was not like that. No. Mutt would try anything. He, he was, fe- he was fearless with creativity and totally going by feel. That, that's something that I really admired about the guy because for as technologically sound as these recordings are, so much of it was, was more about how it felt than anything else.
1: Interesting. So, how many takes did you have to do of bass? You know, man, that whole
0: take story from like Def Leppard and stuff—we didn't really have. It wasn't really like that. I mean, we played it until it was right, but it didn't take us like, you know, you hear these stories about you taking like three months to get a kick drum sound or something, and you know, and and then and then you know the drum takes took like whatever, yeah, weeks. It, you know, we didn't really that didn't happen for us. Um, really, I. I I I I was cognizant of that, but I wasn't scared of it, and it just never happened. Right, right. it never happened. Like we worked hard and we got great takes, but it was nothing like that. Mm. Like those, you know, the stories I'm talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's, totally. That's why you're asking. I, that's why you're asking is because yeah. you know these stories. But and, and it, yeah, it's absurd. But but and, and I and I don't doubt that those things happened. We, that just wasn't my experience.
1: No, I totally. I, I, I talk about that album because it just sounds so fucking good. You listen to songs like, um, you know, I'd come for you and you know, the openness of the tracks and like just how the bass is in its pocket and that acoustic is in its pocket when it comes in the second portion of that first verse. And the, like everything is just perfect on that album. You know, when you guys were going to record the next albums that followed it, did you kind of base the sound off dark horse, use some of those tricks? That,
0: that you know was just the that was just that iteration of Nickelback, you know um, it, how how that you know like I said it wasn't this concerted effort to to sound a certain way it was just let's make the best sounding Nickelback record we can make and and that's what we go in and try to do every time and you know it, it, with varying degrees of success right
1: <laughs> yeah totally what was your bass rig like on uh, Dark Horse because that bass tone to me is just phenomenal do you remember
0: it was. It was all di. All di. There, there, really, there really wasn't any. We did. We did one trick. Well, I'll share with you. We did one trick, and that is that we would play the take, and edit, and get it all straight, and so that every you know so that the take was perfect. Um, and then but what do you say that you would go
1: like, he'd go on the grid and like, take like the note from there and like, you know, like crossfade it. So it's perfectly matched on the we grid would, and we
0: would clean it. We would make a composite take, right? Like right. you take a number of takes and you take the best of all of them and make one hybrid take and that, and then you get the Sonics right on that. But then the trick that we would do is we would take that take and then pump it through my 1970 Ampeg SVT, uh, power of power and just crank it and put a microphone in front of it. That rearranged all the pictures in the studio <laughs> for a couple of days when we were doing reamping. It was, it was actually hysterically funny because Mutz actually is a bass player. Yeah. And, uh, and he, you know, so he, he knew this app, pretty well you know it's a it's a pretty famous and and well-known thing and you know it's it's like the old marshals the say, same situation turn it up to 10 and get out of the way and get ready for you know a sound like you've never heard before and this thing it just roars i still have it here you know in los angeles i've moved it with me everywhere i've gone it's probably the heaviest piece of my life
1: oh
0: geez
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> working with Muth, gonna, though, as a bass player and he's a bass player did he did, did he elevate your performance game
0: yes Yes, he did. He challenged me a lot. He challenged me a lot. He made me play in ways that I don't normally play. He made me do things I don't normally do. Mm. For sure,
1: took you out of your comfort zone.
0: Totally. It was. It was what I needed to do. The Mitch Lafon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch Lafon and Jeremy White Show.
1: Available wherever you stream.
0: Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand
2: now.
1: Subscribe so you don't miss any of it.